Hello, friends. Welcome to Feed Learning People podcast, a podcast where fellow humans share their vulnerable moments and how they navigated sticky situations throughout their careers. We've all been there, so let's learn from each other. My name is Jesse, and today I'm here with Sheena Singh. Today, I'm here with Sheena Singh, who is a VP at a benefits consulting firm. In this episode, she'll share her experience growing up in an immigrant household and how that upbringing influenced her decisions. We'll talk a good amount about money and how it plays an influential role in the relationships we have and also in how we perceive our self-worth. Specifically, Sheena will remark on the pivotal moment when she first realized she was impacted by pay inequality and her response to it. Towards the end, we'll also talk about her challenges working in healthcare while balancing her passion for social justice. Hope you enjoy this episode and check out feedlearning.com slash podcast for the show notes. Sheena, you're the first guest on the podcast who I don't really know. Oh, good. <laughs> so so, so um, I was talking to my mother-in-law and she's like, Hey, uh, do you need another guest? You should talk to my colleague, Sheena. <laughs> and I think she called you a badass lady or something like that. She <laughs> she talked very highly of you. So I was like, okay, I got to talk to this It better person. be badass bitch, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. But yeah, so I guess that's how we know each other through my mother-in-law. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, Sheena, can you scan your resume? Sure, yeah. So um, I graduated from NYU in 06 with a bachelor's in psychology. And then I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do after that. I was really confused about um, how to pursue like the next step. Um, I graduated in like three years because I was like, I'm not really an academic after all of the overachieving I did in school. I was like, this isn't for me. So I decided, let me just get employed, get a job and just figure it out from there. I was like, maybe I want to go into an HR related field. I like the idea of psychology and HR and how people think and how they react to things. So I was like, it's... I like things that have applicability to that. So I wanted to kind of think about that, but I didn't really have experience in it. So I ended up just being like, let me find a job. I started working at Memorial Sloan Kettering as a clinical research assistant, really random, but I was like, hey, I'm employed. I can afford to uh, bring down my credit card debt. And so why don't I just do that? (laughs) Yeah. And so I worked there for about a year and a half, not very long, but I also didn't see a future there. So my one of my friends from college was like, hey, my sister works for sort of like an HR consulting firm. Um, and so if you want to interview there, you know, you can do that. I was like, oh, OK, sure. And, I, and it happened to be related to employee benefits consulting. I'm like, I really have no idea what the hell this even is. Uh-huh. But yeah. sure, why not? <laughs> I think my decision I, I was, still don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what, how to explain <laughs> it to people. It's always a different answer. Um, so I interviewed there. Um, and so having that connection point really just kind of helped, uh, you know, ha- kickstart that. And then um, I ended up staying there for basically my entire professional career at this point. The company that I worked for, though, and um, got acquired by a large publicly traded firm. And so now I've been a part of that firm as, you know, almost about four years now. So um, basically, I've had very little movement in my job. It just happened to me rather than me taking the action to take uh, to change that. Uh So that's where I am now still doing quote unquote employee benefits consulting. I call it more Mm -hmm. like healthcare consulting because of the uh, target audience of the clients that I work for. Awesome. So Sheena, you've been working in the healthcare field in healthcare consulting for what, like 13 years? 13 years. Yep. Okay. So that's a freaking long time. It is. (laughs) The the longest I've stayed at a company was maybe like three years and then I got bored or I just (laughs) didn't like the politics or I'd couldn't advance or I found another place to advance. Um, Do you ever feel like you are missing out when you don't leave the company? Like, is there a FOMO? I mean, absolutely. There is always this like, could I have been doing something else this whole time? Um, And I think it really comes down to a combination of things of like how my personality and comfort level (laughs) works around 
career and job and what that means to me in the context of my entire life. And then also I've seen people make the change and move either to a different company in the same industry and still feel like it's not any easier or it's not any better necessarily. It's just different. It's a combination of I am, I tend to sometimes be complacent, but also risk averse. What has kept me going in those last 13 years is um, I started in sort of that really entry level, you know, account management position mm-hmm. to now being a vice president at the company and advancing in in the company. So it wasn't like I didn't have sort of movement happening um, within the within the organization where I took on more responsibilities or different responsibilities. So in some ways, I always found a way to keep myself going. And I really thrive on that forward movement. So if I felt like I was going to be stuck there and not see a future in like advancing, then I would absolutely make the decision to look. And it's like, if I have any kind of FOMO, it's about what else could I be doing not related to healthcare consulting or employee benefits consulting. It's more about like, what else could I have been doing with, you know, my life or my career or dropping everything and just traveling the world and like not worrying uh, about having a job. So um, that's a good life. <laughs> yeah. So I think what just kept me here is really that I continue to be rewarded for the work that I did. And mm-hmm. I continued to find ways to tackle the sort of blocks that I did have, whether that was, you know, working with my manager, my supervisors or leadership and explaining why I need the structure of how I work to change or why I need them to understand how I work. Or it's about, hey, I really deserve to move on to the next level. And here's why. And I've demonstrated it to you. So mm-hmm. I feel like that combination has kept me here. I find that the common denominator of of employees staying at a company, it's like they're learning and growing. They're Mm -hmm. always developing and learning something new every day, or they feel appreciated or probably getting paid well or, you know, um, benefits and whatnot. So it seems like you have that. Um, So I want to take a deeper dive into your upbringing, Mm -hmm. your mindset, because I don't don't know you that well, Sheena. So tell me more about your upbringing. Like, what was it like to grow up in your household? I was actually, I was born in India and I moved to New York with my family when I was two years old. So Mm -hmm. I come from an immigrant family where, you know, you can relate. It's all about hard work Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not being told that you just are expected to do that. Yeah. And, um, you know, did you really, did your parents make you want you to become a doctor or? Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, doctor or lawyer or (laughs) like, you know, like some kind of wall street hedge fund person that's just making a lot of money, basically just making a lot of money so they could show off about it. (laughs) Yes. 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 (laughs) It was all about how can I show off about my child? So what is Uh she doing? That's going to prove that. Um, so that's really, what you know drove them and then ultimately also sort of impacted me and my and what ended up driving me also I think age order has a lot to do with it I'm the oldest child so I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to be like that sort of model child who is like kind of following all the rules and probably some rules that like I made up for myself thinking that that was what I was supposed Mm -hmm. to be doing but -hmm. you know so I think there was all of these sort of unset expectations, but obviously I saw it in the way that they portrayed themselves. And I see it in our Indian community of how it's all about like, this is what my kid is doing or like one upping each other or like keeping up with the Joneses. And that was definitely a part of our childhood of growing up. I think that's a pressure that my parents felt too and felt like that they had to maintain that sort of, you know, persona, even if it's not necessarily what they fundamentally believe. And I think it's driven their childhood and how Mm -hmm. they've been shaped and that ultimately falls down to us too. Yeah, it's a trickle down effect. It never stops. I'm hoping one day maybe I'll break that cycle. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We will see. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, yeah. so what were what were some main lessons taught, or some values that that were instilled in you, and mm-hmm. perhaps you still follow that today? More so than even just like working hard, I think it was like, how do you like show yourself out to other people? Like, how do you represent yourself? How do you represent your family? Um, I think that's important to them, and it's part of our like community culture. So, I think that was always sort of a factor and something that was important to my family. 
there was a lot of pressure also for my family to keep that up. And so I felt that too. I felt, am I doing the things that I'm doing for myself or am mm-hmm. I doing it for my parents or am I doing it for yeah. everybody else? And I, you know, I haven't really fully answered that question. It's probably a combination of all of those things. Yeah. But um, I think that because of the way that I grew up and because of that sort of mentality of, um, you know, how you represent yourself on the outside is almost more important than whatever you're thinking about on the inside or how you're struggling or whatever. I think it does, you know, really impact what decisions you make. Money was a big part of all of this, too, in terms of like how I grew up. Like my parents, you know, um, always strive to make us comfortable, but it doesn't mean that they made a lot of money. Like my dad was constantly working. My mom for most of my childhood didn't work. She took care of us. I noticed early on money is such a big factor to making a relationship work or not work. And I think I had some like sort of resentment towards that because I wanted to, you know, I was like, this guy is working really hard and trying to make ends meet. And I don't want Mm -hmm. him to feel like that's all he's there for too. Yeah. So I I struggle with that for a lot in my sort of childhood and teenage years of sort of coming to acceptance with that. But it also really drove me to think about like whatever job I'm going to have, I want to feel financially comfortable. I don't want to rely on someone else to give me that comfort. And I I want to make sure that ultimately I can also take care of my family should something happen and that they can't take care of themselves or you know, whatever. So the other thing that I think like from a family values perspective is that my parents are, you know, and my family in general, like we really value this idea of just like enjoying your life to the extent possible. Like even though, you know, my parents aren't rich, we never felt like we were lacking in anything. That could be we had credit card debt. We had obviously, you know, bills to pay, but we just keep paying them whatever we can Mm do. But they don't want us to suffer. They don't want us to feel like we don't have the things we need or or even the things that we want. So I think that they're just, you know, their values are you have to enjoy this life while you can. And even if we are struggling, we need to make the most of it. And that really has been a big part of my, you know, perception of how I take this life and and how I balance work and life and try to do things that are separate and not yeah. you know always so entwined yeah going back to what you said earlier about like money drives your decisions right? I I feel like I can relate to you in that sense too so like growing up my dad he was a breadwinner mm-hmm. my mom she I don't know how she did it but she had six of us wow. and uh <laughs> so she she was you know the the uh the homemaker but she also did like worked in a sweatshop too but brought her work home yeah. and stuff and and but my dad made most of the money to where like my mom would sometimes have to depend on my dad for the money. Yeah. And like, if they got into a fight, you know, it's strings attached to the money, yeah. right? So yeah. like growing up, when I saw that, that kind of influenced my decision-making uh, today too. And I feel like I don't want to be dependent on right. anyone for money. Like I want to make my own money. Yeah. I want to live a life where I don't have to depend on my husband, on anyone else to make yeah. me happy, to give me money. And I feel like you, you can relate to that too. It's just seeing how your parents interact with each other really yeah. like affects how you That's feel. That's ex- mm-hmm. exactly the way that I saw it. It was like, you know, like, I mean, not that my mom ever had like that she couldn't get the money but the fact that she even has to ask for it is such a weird like uncomfortable concept and and that really did also drive me in the same way as it did you of like I don't want to feel like I have to rely on someone else to do this and in fact like you know and then the balance of like seeing my dad having to constantly do this and not feeling he had a partner to sort of contribute a little bit too Mm -hmm. it was like I want to be able to make sure no matter what that I can take care of myself and hopefully them, and then and then I'll figure out the rest and go from yeah. there. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so it's such a it's such an interesting yeah dynamic to watch and how it can really like make or break relationships. That conversation around money and it in some ways you know has done that with my own personal relationships of like with like guys that I've dated when. I make a certain amount of money and they don't or they're not working and I have this like it comes back exactly to like what my parents went through I'm like wait 
I can't be in this situation because it's too <laughs> uh-huh. reminiscent of how, the dynamic of, you know, what I saw with my parents. And I think in some ways that fear also shapes how I connect with people. Um, yeah. Wait, so, yeah. wait, are you saying, are you saying that if a guy doesn't make as much as you, that you wouldn't date him? No, it's not as much as me, but like if uh-huh. you're, it, it's like how you spend your money and uh-huh, I'll give you uh-huh, an example. So uh-huh. I dated a guy for two years who, um, he, when I met him, he had a job and, um, a few months in, he lost his job, but he also didn't try very hard to find another job. And so that was really hard for me and it changed our dynamic. I feel like very quickly, um, even though, you know, we still ended up dating for two years, but we'll go back to my complacency <laughs> later. Um, but it did, you know, create some um, discomfort for me of like, I can't be in this dynamic where like, I am always striving to have this financial stability and security. And if the other person is not motivated by that, or at least wants that, then that's, that's not the right fit for me. Um, it like creates a sense of discomfort for me that I don't think is sustainable. Um, and so that's where it wouldn't have worked, but they don't have to make the same amount of money as me Mm -hmm. for sure. I could be making more. It's like how you spend your money. It's that you want to be working. It's that you're motivated to do something with your life and, Mm -hmm. um, and have some ambition, I think was really the missing factor there. Um, that I think, you know, obviously ultimately, drove me apart from him but that was Mm -hmm. that was a big factor so I saw that money conversation play play itself out in my own relationships so we've been talking a lot about money uh, which kind of segues to the next question I have for you how do you define success so I mean I do think that um my compensation or my salary and that forward movement and continuing to make money definitely drives me and is a marker of success for me in my career. So I definitely think that like, when I'm ready to move to the next level, it's about like, okay, what, how much money am I going to make to get to this level? And is that, is that effort worth the compensation that I'm going to get? I've learned to be very unapologetic about asking for, for money because there's always going to be someone who is making more than you and doing less than you. So I (laughs) I like that. Okay. So I feel like it's important to, you know, ask for more because there is, they're going to say yes, or they're going to say no. And then they're going to have to decide if they want to keep you or not. Yeah. So, um, I really value having work-life balance. I really value that I can take the salary that I'm making or the compensation that I have to spend it and use it in a way that I'm doing the things that I really want to be doing outside of work, like traveling and being able to go to nice restaurants and hanging out with my friends or being able to help support my family or not feeling like I'm strapped for cash to to do something that I want to do. And I'm really lucky from that perspective that I have that ability, but I needed to make sure that I had the right compensation level to get there, to get those things that I wanted. The other thing that I really thrive from is having, you know, being recognized for the work that I do, getting validation and affirmation for what I'm contributing to the company, to the clients that I work with. So getting that positive reinforcement, whether it's from a client or from my colleague, from my supervisor, that really is important to me. If I felt like I wasn't getting that, it would be really hard to kind of stay there because I'd be doubting myself or like, am I doing what I should be doing? Am I... Mm -hmm. I really work off of that validation in order to make, it's like a measure of, am I doing well or not? So it seems like you've asked for a raise before? Yes, I have. Okay, okay. <laughs> how did you ask for more money? Like, how can I get more money? Although I work for myself. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think usually I tied the raise question to also a title change. Um, okay. Because... I felt like I needed to have a clear, concrete reason for asking for that raise. And that is a very clear, concrete reason for asking for it because you're changing your title and ultimately your responsibilities. Um, I was in the situation where um, it was the end of the year. We had our year end reviews. I got promoted to a senior account manager. I got a nice little bump to my salary and I was like, this is great. I didn't even ask for it. I actually didn't even know it was going to happen. And they're like, you're promoted. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Uh 
Uh-huh. But then um, one of my colleagues um, who was at the at what they call the director level, which is the next level ultimately, um, decided that he was going to leave the company. And so they um, said to me, we'd like to promote you to this director level um, as a result of this person leaving. And from my perspective was, you know, why they're deciding to do that. Like they think that I'm the next person that can really fill that position, which I was very thankful for. And, you know, obviously, but Mm -hmm. at the same Mm -hmm. time, um, I did find out that the offer they gave me from a salary perspective was not what he was making. And and I also found out that the two people before him who were in that same director level position that left and then how he became that director Mm -hmm. were also making more than what I was offered in that position. But what he had told me in my conversation with him, and I I feel like talking about salary is actually really important, but, Mm -hmm. you know, well... Uh, that's my uh, not my manager answer or supervisor <laughs> answer, but obviously yeah. Uh, yeah. personally and with my friends and my colleagues, you know, I and my yeah. peers. I think it's important because you get screwed over so many times if you don't yeah. talk about this stuff. Yeah, companies don't want you to talk about it to protect themselves. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I get that, and I have to toe the party line, obviously, when I'm representing the company, and so it is a little bit hard and frustrating to be in that position. But, you know, what he told me in that conversation was like, they didn't give me a lower amount and then I asked for more. They're like, this is what this person was making. So this is what we're going to give you. And he's like, oh, okay. Why did you offer me less money to get that same position that he got? Um, And he was in it for like almost less than a year. So, I mean, yes, he's older than me. He's a male. And they just like, oh, yeah, so he has experience. He can do this. He can talk to clients and get, you know, be in that position and so that is really where I started to think about am I actually being fairly compensated Mm. for the work that I do and if you think Mm -hmm. that I deserve to be in this position why am I not being compensated the same that's where I actually started to first be uncomfortable at my job (laughs) yeah Um, okay when I started to realize like the quality Mm -hmm. wasn't there in terms of pay Mm -hmm. when you're expecting actually me to for me to do the same job it really felt unfair and you're giving me this job i didn't ask for it you're actually saying hey we think you deserve this position but we're not going to compensate you the same and obviously Mm -hmm. going into that discussion and starting it with that dialogue you're 100 percent gonna get them to push back and be defensive and come up with the reasons why you shouldn't be making the same amount of money as that and that's exactly what happened to me that is the Uh, That is the way I positioned it. And that's the way I went in, obviously being earlier on in my career. And um, they were like, well, you're not you don't have as many years of experience. Uh, You're we we see you, you know, succeeding in this position and like growing into this position. And that's why we're giving you this title and this role. But you have some, you know, ways to like grow and learn and really Mm -hmm. kind of be at the top of that position. I did say, you know, I want to make sure that I'm going to get fairly compensated for this position and that ultimately I see um, I see that same salary level um, as this person before me because you are expecting me to do the same job as him and I wouldn't be working any less or, uh, you know, like trying to do less in that position to, to earn that. Um, and, or I wouldn't, or I wouldn't accept the position because then I wouldn't be ready for it and I shouldn't be doing it. So I had to, you know, so the messaging really was, okay, well, let's give you, you know, like six months. If you can, in the six months, show us X, Mm -hmm. then we're going to, you know, uh, put in an increase in your salary and they put it in writing. So, you know, Uh in some ways it like gave me some motivation and drive to keep moving forward. I was still resentful as fuck about it because, you know, like no one else got asked that question or had to like just accept a lower salary level. Um, And, you know, it also started this like discomfort of like just you're expecting to meet me to be a high performer. And just because I'm younger doesn't mean that I shouldn't get compensated the same as someone who got to that same level at a 
older age, right? So it really started to kind of frame how I perceived my um, my ability to perform with the barriers of my age. And, yeah. and because I maybe got here too quickly um, in some ways, am I actually losing out on some of the sort of rewards of that um, because there's still some like doubt of people of like thinking that I can perform at the same level or I've, that I've earned it. I'm still the youngest person in the room having these conversations and being at this level and feeling like um, I maybe am being overlooked for the compensation, but yet expected to do yeah. the same thing and holding myself to these higher standards of being at this level, but yet I still have to catch up in some way to like be at an even footing. So I definitely feel you there because before I was a consultant, I was you know a practitioner at different corporations and I was always the youngest one in the room yeah. as well. And like I even graduated college early. I was right. just growing up. I was always the youngest one yeah. in the room. And it's to the point where I'm doing such a good job. They're giving me more responsibilities. At one point, I was doing the job of my director and yeah. I would turn around and, and he's he would always be around his office just checking his Bank of America account or like going <laughs> on ESPN. I'm like, why the heck am I doing your job? But I'm not yeah. even being fairly compensated for it. And I feel like a lot of it had to do with me being younger. I think yeah. that kind of negatively impacted me getting different titles and positions and pay that I was wanting. So I, yeah. I, I feel how you... I feel there too. Let's say someone wants to ask for a raise. Let's say someone feels that they are not fairly compensated and they kind of feel anxious about going to that conversation. Yeah. Uh, what are some tips that you have for this person? Yeah. So um, preparation is key mm-hmm. for that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I did is I would try as much as possible to research, like, what are people at this level making? What are people at the next level making? So I can kind of get a sense of what the range is, because, you know, there's going to be people who are making less than the median people who are making more. Right. So where do I fall in that? And it's hard to find that information. It's not very easy. Um, sometimes what you need to do is talk to a recruiter so you find out what your worth is. I think it's important to to take that step sometimes and get that sort of objective uh, perspective of what you are worth um, so that when you're armed with that information, when you go to your manager um, and then coming up with the reasons why you deserve that raise is definitely critical don't make it about your personal situation ever. Um, they will shoot that down as soon as possible. Um, like I'm getting married. Yeah, or yeah, I just I'm bought a house. A I need to afford my mortgage, <laughs> and so uh-huh. uh, give me more yeah. money. Um, yeah. yeah, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. I've, uh-huh. I've seen that <laughs> fail uh, time and time again. I think it's really important to quantify whatever you can related to your output and the results that you're bringing to the firm. And it doesn't mean that that's like, I made 3 million in revenue for for you. Although that as you get, you know, further in your career is important and what they look at. I think it's about what are coming up with some metrics of like, defining your value that that resonates with the firm and what that means. you know, it could be client retention, it could be like, I took over X number of cases, or I'm working, you know, or I'm managing X number of people and things like that, just coming up with some kind of quantifiable sort of metrics, I think goes a long way, even if it's like, it doesn't have to mean a whole big deal. But I think having it, having that conversation in that context makes a difference Mm -hmm. for them. um, Because they're like, you actually thought about this, right? And you're making a case for it. Um, and I think the other thing is just, yeah, telling your story, like why, what am I doing that, um, is above and beyond what is expected of me to get to this point. But I feel like the most successful conversations in getting that raise are making the case of why you're doing more than what you're expected to be doing, unfortunately. And then I think if they really value you and they don't want to, you know, risk losing you, you that you're bringing something to the table that someone else isn't uh, mm-hmm. to the work product or to the dynamic of your firm or, yeah. you know, other things, I think um, that will make them take a step back and think about it. Yeah. So let's talk about politics. Yeah. Getting to where you are today, right? Going from more of a entry level, professional level, all the way to VP, possibly even SVP soon. Like, yeah. did you play a lot of politics throughout the way? Or was it just do hard work and you'll get where you need to get? 
yeah, it's politics. It's like, it's how you portray yourself in front of people, how mm -hmm. you make yourself visible to certain people over others is definitely a part of the game, right? Like I could just be working really hard getting the revenue goals that I need to get, uh, making the sales I need to make, uh, pleasing my clients. That is great and fine, but if I don't represent it in the right way to my manager or to the people that my manager interacts with, then I'm actually not gonna go anywhere from here. So you can work really hard and do well in terms of the um, the results that they're expecting you to do for your position. But if you don't market yourself in the right way, if you don't mm -hmm. really like um, play within the, um, you know, that you have to like connect with all these different people internally, not just your direct supervisor, not just the people who report to you or you report to, and really like create the circle of people who know what you're doing. I think it makes it harder for you to make the case to continue to move up and to get paid more. So, because if they don't know who you are, especially as I'm trying to move into this next role, if they didn't mm -hmm. know who I, who I am or what I've contributed to the firm and that it's not just one person who knows, I'm never going to make it to the next level. Um, my, my hard work and my results in my bubble can only go so far because my output has to represent something beyond mm -hmm. just my direct work that I'm doing. You mentioned market yourself. Like, yeah. how, how do you market yourself? Because when I when I think of market yourself, I feel like it's sometimes boasting. Oh, I did X, Y, Z. I, I was able to, you know, impact the business, add this much value. Like, yeah, it's how do so you market yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. kind of uncomfortable doing that because I'm like, mm -hmm. I hate those people who do that. I hate the people uh -huh. who are, like, I know those people uh -huh. who are uh -huh. always talking about, how well they're doing or what they're doing. And I'm like, you are just talking for the sake of fucking filling space right now. And I can't <laughs> stand it. I don't like, I have no patience uh -huh. for it. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, uh, they're obviously probably doing pretty mm -hmm. well in terms of moving up. And, and I know I have to play into those politics too, because if I don't, then I'm going to fall behind. I'm not going to be able to keep up. So it is very uncomfortable. And, and I, you know, I try to balance it with like, I market myself in a way where when I'm talking to people about what I do, I try to relate, relate it back to what they do. I try to like, uh, I could help them or what they're doing could be broadened or, you know, they're and like commending them for their their work and it's almost it's a little bit of sucking up but it's also a little bit of like acknowledging that there's synergies between us and that we mm -hmm, can really mm -hmm. like work together to kind of like um you know to like really thrive and um bring more to our clients and to the work that we do so it's like this half like you know sort of being a little bit like boasty about what you do and like but trying to do it in a a little bit more of an organic way where it's like what can I do for you and so you kind of have to like make yourself force yourself to feel that confidence even if inside you have a lot of self-doubt and imposter syndrome which I struggle with all the time but I, I think it's really important to sort of just kind of bite you know like bite the bullet and be like you just this gotta is a do part it. of a it's part yeah. of like work and if you want to keep moving up then you're gonna have to make that a part of your life Hi there. So I just wanted to take a quick break to tell you a little bit more about Feed Learning. Feed Learning is an HR and talent consulting firm that helps build sustainable teams through virtual training courses, one-on-one -on -one coaching for managers, and also HR process improvement strategies. We also have a bunch of free online resources to help you throughout your career. So check us out on feedlearning.com or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram. All right, now back to the show with Sheena. Sheena, can you describe yourself in terms of your race, ethnicity, gender, generation? Just identify yourself. I am an Indian American woman, millennial and young professional, I guess is mm -hmm. how I would describe okay. myself. Okay. How has your social identity, how has that positively or negatively impacted your career? When I hit the 10 plus year mark in my experience working in this industry, I think mm -hmm. people started to take me more seriously, even though I was providing them 
similar recommendations mm-hmm. before that too. But mm-hmm. I think there's a certain like perception of like you haven't been in this industry long enough and you look like you're, you know, 18 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that combination does create this bias of like, does this person know what they're talking about? So mm-hmm. I always did have to make sure I portrayed myself competently and just was Mm -hmm. able to be super prepared and ready to talk to clients about any kind of question that was coming up that was like always in the back of my mind and um, are are you familiar with a stereotype threat a little bit like Um, like did you ever feel so like uh, so stereotype threat is when you know that there is a stereotype about you your social identity to where that you think you're thinking about it so much that it impacts your performance. So like, Mm. let's say for instance, I'm Asian. I know there's a stereotype that Asian women cannot drive, right? So like, let's say I'm taking a driving test and I'm so nervous because I know there's that stereotype of Asian women can't drive and the instructor probably knows that stereotype to where all I can do is think about that stereotype that it depletes all of my energy of performing well to where I don't perform well and I get that stereotype threat. Like, do do you feel that way, like to where you know there's like stereotypes about you, maybe how you look or your age to where like people are thinking about that and it impacts how you perform at work? Yeah, I think that definitely um, was the case, I would say, like a good like three years ago. Um I've really come into feeling more confident about like, I know what I'm talking about. So I'm not going to let those things get in the way anymore. And I've also gotten the validation from the clients that I have worked with for many years where they look at me in the meeting and there's someone, there's a man sitting right next to me that's part of my team. He's older. He might actually be my boss. And I'm like the one that they're looking at for advice or for consultation. So I've, I've, been lucky enough to get into a position where like, I feel like I've proven myself. I feel like I've been in this industry long enough to know what makes sense. And I I do think that um, in some ways, why I've succeeded in my position is that some of the sort of gaps that some of the other leaders may have had or consultants that I worked with on my teams may have had in terms of articulating a particular thought or like really asking the right questions to the client and understanding what their needs are, even noticing a change in body language and picking up Mm -hmm. on that and like trying to address that and figure out if they're uncomfortable. I really like when I see um, miscommunication about to happen, I like to step in and try to fix that problem as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of those things where I like took the onus on myself to really uh, make sure that I address that sort of gap. I've proven myself in a way where I don't think that that bias is there anymore for me, because if they are biased at this point, that's on them. I really come into my position and my career and the industry that I work in where I feel okay about knowing enough about something where I can confidently talk about it and not let those reservations I had before about am I old enough or wise enough or experienced Mm -hmm. enough to really be able to um, be be able to have this conversation with them and that it took a lot of time to get there did you overcome that just because through time and experience or was there like a pivotal moment that kind of helped you understand hey I need to stop self-doubting myself and putting those limitations on myself because no one else is I think it was a combination of internally with my team and with my supervisors, uh, not feeling like I always had to have the answers Mm -hmm. that I could go to them and kind of get their guidance on things. And um, finally letting that barrier fall of like, I don't always have to look like I know what I'm doing with my team um, that I can, you know, really be able to collaborate with them and make sure that um, that I'm not missing some point that I should be thinking about or that I should be learning. Breaking down that barrier was the first part, the pivotal moment for me of like, I'm only going to learn by asking questions and really talking to people and being more vulnerable in those conversations. And so now even with clients, I am not shy to be like, I'm not sure what you mean, or like, can you give me an example of what this means? Like, 
you know, I thought like if I didn't know something and I um, just didn't ask about it, that I would figure it out and be okay. But it stressed me out even more and actually made me perform worse than when I started to ask people about like, I'm not really sure how to approach this or like asking for help. That actually ended up dropping that barrier for me of this like fear of failure, not knowing what I'm talking mm-hmm. about and yeah. feeling more competent with the work that I do. Um, and when, when that happened internally at my job, that helped me actually use that as a way to talk to my clients and relate to them more and be more human with them. And they actually respect it versus, and it doesn't mean I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's more like you can ask that question now without, without them doubting you, like, does she know what she's doing? Um, because you're, you're relating it back to, I heard this, I'm, I'm actively listening to you and I want to make sure I'm addressing your question appropriately. So for me, it's like connect consulting is about connecting dots. It's about problem solving. And if you don't ask questions, if you don't let yourself like just be like, can you repeat that? Can I just want to make sure I understand and kind of put yourself in that vulnerable position. Um, I, I don't think I would be as good of a consultant, but yeah, I mean, going back to the perspective of being a, you know, a woman who is Indian, who most of the people that I sit in with the room when it's a client are white, um, in this industry and healthcare, there's very rarely that I even come across executives that are people of color, um, sitting in those rooms. And so it's, um, it's uncomfortable, but it's also empowering to me at the same time that, I can be in that room and talk to them and and give them this advice and this feedback and these recommendations and they're taking me seriously with the combination of experience and knowledge that I have, but also with how I sort of um, uphold myself in those situations. Let's talk about social justice because it seems like that's that's something very important for you. You talked about fairness. Like, why is fairness so important to you? And, and why social justice? I would throw it back and say, why isn't it important to everybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know? Like, yeah. why is that something that you wouldn't want for mm-hmm. everybody? We have, I mean, our principles and almost every single country's, like, constitution abides by this, like, people are created equal, yet all of our structural systems are based on inequity and racism and, um, you know, disproportionate share of resources. And so even in healthcare, right? So we think about my job where I'm helping a health system think about how to improve the outcomes of their employee population, whether it's related to cost or their, you know, um, health data and outcomes and, Uh, making sure that um, the members that they're working with are engaged with their programs that they offer and things like that. And how can you talk about that and make recommendations around that without thinking about the inequity that's in our society related to accessing healthcare? Your zip code and where you're born is going to be more likely the factor that determines um, how you succeed in the world. Yeah, that's sad. And um, also what happens in terms of your long-term health, right? So the Mm -hmm. social determinants that impact your health, I would say, are 70% of the things that drive whether you're going to be healthy or you're going to improve your outcomes or um, you're going to ultimately, you know, um, adhere to your medications that you need to take and that you're going to go to the doctor when you should or that you're going to get your preventive medications and screenings and things like that. And so... If I live in a food desert because I don't have access to reasonable food that's not overprocessed or is just very like unhealthy and the cheapest option for me is to eat fast food um, and that's actually all I can afford. How do you expect me and my individual behavior to impact the thing that you're trying to accomplish? And so I feel like there was a long time in my career where I'm like, I don't actually care about the work that I'm doing. I'm like, I like that it's helping me professionally and I'm able to go travel and I'm able to make money and feel like, oh, I checked all these things off the box. But I'm trying to tie it back to my understanding and passion around social justice, because if I don't, I don't know how long I can thrive in this industry and in this career, mm-hmm. because it's all going to start to feel empty to me in terms of the things that I talk about and consult with, um, with my clients, like you can't expect individual behaviors to change the world. 
um, corporations are driving a lot of the things that happen in our world. And they're, you know, avoiding taxes. They're causing most of the uh, pollution and issues with climate change in the first place. And yet we're like, oh, you left the water on too long. And you should, you know, and like, it's just all bullshit to me. And <laughs> it's like, really fucked up that we always think about individual actions and behaviors driving real change or true change. And so I at least want to figure out in a way how in my healthcare bubble, how can I make sure that's part of my conversations with my clients and try to incorporate that in those discussions? Because if you can't impact 70% of the barriers that are impacting someone from being healthy, like access to food, um, access to even primary care, because you don't always have that in, in a lot of rural communities, or you can't afford to pay for your doctor's visits or you're uninsured. Um, if we can't solve for those things, how are you going to make someone like go walk and take, get a Fitbit and like, oh, yeah. you know, all like uh, improve yeah. all those like stupid little metrics that we talk about. I'm passionate about it from like a, you know, obviously a broader objective perspective that I think that we have to address our structural sort of um, inequity and um, deal with that while at the same time we can pick away at the other things. But without that conversation and just looking at it in a bubble, we're never going to solve for that. What do you say to people who are in the mindset of, oh, you know, I'm I'm not being impacted. That's not my problem. That's that group of people's problems. Why should I care? I'm doing fine. Right. I really thrive on being empathetic to people's Mm -hmm. situations. Um, So it it does bother me truly when someone is like, just because I'm not feeling this, why I can't relate to this person because I haven't gone through it. But how can you not understand like their circumstances and the fact that people are going through these things that acknowledge that? And it's a difficult conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, I'm not saying I'm like this, you know, master practitioner in like arguing with these people yeah, philosophically. Yeah, yeah, I, know. I think it's I tough. still it's a struggle. Touchy subject. Yeah, I struggle with it because you guilting someone into feeling bad and realizing that they have privileges that other people don't doesn't always turn out the way you want because they're like, oh, well, whatever. They get defensive about it. Um, I try sometimes to put it into my own terms if I can with them. And so take immigration as an example, you know, like, oh, well, there's a right way to come into this country and a wrong way to come into this country. Saying that, like, my family came here, we um, overstayed our visa and we decided to just live here. And we luckily were in a position where the federal government gave amnesty to people like us and we were able to stay here and get citizenship. I am contributing to society. I am paying my taxes. I am uh, on paper successful and doing well and representing the American dream that you're talking about and this individual exceptionalism. So I would not be right here in front of you if you kept, if that was your philosophy on immigration. Um, and are you okay with that? Like I'm standing right in front of you and you're telling me that I shouldn't have been here. Um, and I think that, you know, if you like try to relate it back to them Mm -hmm. in any possible way, sometimes that helps. Yeah. And and sometimes like they won't get it until it happens to them, which it will happen to them sooner or later. The world goes around. Like sometimes you might have the privileges today, but you might not have those same privileges tomorrow. Well, if you have to like now wear a mask when you go out to the grocery store, it's like, oh, this is impeding on my freedom. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like now all of a sudden, like that's your version of oppression. But yeah, yeah, like I understand it. Someone (laughs) is telling me to do something that I don't feel like I have to do. My body, my choice, right? I do think there's always going to be people who don't get it until it happens to them. And that's the unfortunate circumstances of all this. Um, I think the more we talk about our experiences, the more we can relate to each other on a human level. Great. You know, I think that helps. But there's always going to be people who are going to be who are not going to understand it until it happens to them. And I think you can you can take the Trump presidency as an example of that, because all of this shit was happening before Trump. And for us to like now have a scapegoat to say, well, now it's impacting me or now I'm seeing some leader who is not saying the right 
diplomatic things, but yet doing the same things on the back end. Now mm-hmm. this makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it, it goes exactly back to that fact of like, if it's impacting me personally, or if I'm seeing it for myself, um, I'm going to say something or I'm going to do something, but removing Trump is not going to solve the same problems that have yeah. been there for hundreds it's of systemic. years either. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. um, so I think that's going to continue to be a struggle. And I hope mm-hmm. that we just keep having conversations around it, but I have no answer to how to solve no, no, it. It's hard to find the right answers. We're, all of us are learning what the answers are, right. and it's a bit of discomfort. But until we feel uncomfortable talking about this, yeah. that's when we'll be able to get to the other side of things, right? Yeah, it's it's going to be uncomfortable. This energizes um, people, right? Yeah. So if this is what it took for you to feel like you want to be um, involved more in politics or you, or now that the politics are actually impacting you, that you want to actually do something about it, fine, that's what it took. But at least hopefully you now do something about it or you think about it more or you talk about it more and maybe even just help your family members understand that perspective. That change in itself is such a big thing. I mean, I um, have family members we're immigrants and yet they're like we love trump and i'm like yeah i just can't like <laughs> i can't i can't um, it's really difficult yeah. and you know we're gonna disagree fundamentally but if i can get them to see my perspective even a little bit that's a change that i've already made in some way all right ready for a lightning round okay <laughs> sheena what was your very first job uh walgreens in oh. high school Oh, ah, okay. Cashier. <laughs> cashier, how old were you? 16. What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a psychologist. Uh, you went to college where? I went to NYU. And you said you majored in psychology, right? I was a psychology. Yeah. yeah. The next question is, were you ever considered as a smart kid in class? My assumption and my stereotype of anyone who goes to NYU is you are freaking smart. <laughs> <laughs> Were you considered as a yeah, smart kid? Yeah, I was that smart honors kid in class. What do or did uh, what did your parents want you to be when you grew up? Probably a doctor or a lawyer or mm-hmm. some kind of like investor in business, an entrepreneur. If money wasn't an issue and you could be anything you wanted to be, Sheena, what would you be? I definitely want to be like a travel blogger or some kind of like entertainment huh. related to that because I love traveling and eating and um, Anthony <laughs> Bourdain is my hero. <laughs> so okay. it yeah. would be great to have um, a job like him. Um, but, you know, not so curated like all of the Instagram models out there. I want to try yeah. and make it authentic. <laughs> okay. How many pairs of shoes do you own? 30-ish. Mm, that's a good amount. What can I find on your desk at work or your, your desk at home? a bunch of shit like it'll be papers like uh empty glasses some half glass full glasses <laughs> and um just like you know maybe a plate with a little okay, bit of food so i'm messy <laughs> you need to clean that up after this <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> describe my mother-in-law in three words <laughs> wow i can't believe you asked that um competent confident And the third thing I would say is curious. She really wants to continue to grow and learn and has this thirst for knowledge. Favorite restaurant in New York City? There's actually a really good um, Thai restaurant that I like called Fish Cheeks. Where have you traveled to? So I've traveled to more than 50 countries now. Oh my gosh. Um, So I won't count all of them down since this is a lightning round of questions. Um, (laughs) The last country I went to was Vietnam. And, oh, hey, um, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I gave your mother-in-law some tips on that, too. Um, yeah, she had to cancel her trip, unfortunately. I know. Yeah. Um, and then the trip I was going to go on, but now I'm not because of our mm-hmm. current situation is Korea. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been to every continent except for Antarctica. Okay. Oh, wait. I did actually also go to Jamaica after Vietnam. Um, I guess I can't remember all the places that I've been. That's kind of like a <laughs> humble brag. But uh, yeah, there's still so many more places to go. Very cool. Um, All right. So let's end it with career advice. What advice would you give someone who wants to advance in their career? Um, So I think first the question is, is this the career that you want to be in? Okay. I think it's really about like if you want to advance in the career that you're in, really kind of understand the reasons why you want to be where you are. 
um, and articulate those and write them down um, and really make sure that it's clear to you. The other thing is, you know, know who you are, know your strengths and weaknesses, um, continuously like work on those weaknesses authentically and be open about them with the people that you're working with. Don't try to hide it because I think the more you try to like hold that back, it's actually going to hold you back because I think people really appreciate when there's thing when you have developmental opportunities and you show that you're working on them and that you're self-aware and really acknowledge that those things exist. And then just also know your worth. Um, I think it's always fair for you to just go out there and see what you're worth um, so that if you want to stay at the job that you're at, that you can really get a sense of, am I being compensated fairly? Is the work that I'm doing uh, valued where I am? Or Mm -hmm. is there an opportunity for me to really market myself somewhere else? Okay. I know earlier you talked about how you, you, worked you had uh, you worked with some colleagues and then you end up becoming their manager yeah so I, I'm sure that's kind of weird um, any <laughs> advice on someone who is now managing someone who you used to work with empathize with the people that are reporting up to you Mm -hmm. um, that you're now their manager understand the position that they're coming from because you were in that position before too and really make sure you acknowledge that and and talk to them about that and and address it but then also give them the perspective of why some of the decisions that are being made for the company and why the company is making these decisions are um, impacting us personally but also Ultimately, we're a business and they have to thrive. And if they don't, then we might not be here, too. So I think it's really important to balance that and have that conversation. But first, it's about developing that trust with the people that you're working with or who are reporting to you and making sure that you don't diminish their feelings. Um, You don't delve into it. You don't like commiserate in a way where you're like completely negative, too, if they're feeling negative. But you have to understand where they're coming from and you have to acknowledge that. Um, I know you work a lot with executives and you're probably presenting to them a lot. Any tips on presenting to executives or key stakeholders who are leaders? For those types of meetings and interactions, preparation is key. Um, I really think like sort of just making a bullet point of things you want to make sure you cover and you talk about doing your homework in advance when you're either presenting an idea or even like having a check-in with like someone who's supposed to be your mentor and your Uh, You're supposed to tell them about the things you're working on. Really kind of have your story um, straight and what you want to talk about. Don't treat it lightly. Um, I think it's important to feel prepared for those conversations. Um, So I think that's the biggest advice is preparation for me. Okay. Last question, Sheena. Uh, any, Any books, articles, resources you recommend people to check out? My learning style is more like I like hearing from people that Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. like are um, really well-versed in the industry, like including my peers and my colleagues, right? Um, So like listening to them present, I think goes a long way. But also like Health Affairs does a really good job between their blog and their sort of more um, academic articles of balancing the the actual perspective of healthcare from the the patient, the consumer, the employee with the health system, their needs, and also legislation and government, what they could be doing. I think it really provides a good balance of that, um, including their blog, especially. I think also, you know, in my career, what I've had to sort of give into with my um liking to be a socialist is I still have to read things like the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and sometimes I feel resentful about it because I'm like I think some of it is like a little bit of you know like capitalist bullshit but at the same time I know that I have to read those things and keep up with because those are what my clients are reading those are what my peers are reading they're going to be talking to me about those things so you know I think that advice I just want to give because Um, you, even if it's like your politics sometimes, you know, don't align with what your job is, you have to make sure that you, if you want to continue in this career and this path Mm -hmm. that you have to give into those things sometimes and make sure that you know what they're, what they're reading. Okay. Two books that have really shaped my perception of the society that we live in are the autobiography of Malcolm X and the people's history of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, they're books that I go back to regularly um, to see how things actually really haven't changed significantly since mm-hmm. they've been written and what they're talking about. 
Um, so in some ways it keeps me going in that I feel like we need to continue to have dialogue and talk about these things around social injustice and the systems that create that. And then also, you know, in some ways it's disheartening to know that so little has actually changed. Mm -hmm. If we really take a step back and think about how people uh, without certain privileges are still struggling. Awesome. Awesome, Sheena. Thank you so much. Thanks for jumping no on this podcast. We have we have a lot in common too. Uh, <laughs> just you know, the, our upbringing, the the yeah. Asian South South Asian Southeast Asian upbringing, and you know how yeah. our parents have impacted how we view the world today and how we make our decisions. Um, but I like how you you stayed at your company and you were able to just continue to be bold, right, and, and continue <laughs> to have that presence and and. Um, fight for your worth, really yeah. make sure that you're fairly compensated. And I think as women, we are not as bold as we like yeah. to be. We want to be, but sometimes it, it's, it's hard for us to kind of jump over that hurdle to get there. Yeah, um, but thanks for being a model for women on on how to, you know, advance in their career and, and, and make sure that we are being fairly compensated and we are being recognized for what we do yeah. as well. well. So thank you. Thanks for awesome. having me. I feel yeah. special. <laughs> yeah, you are special. <laughs> All right, so that wraps the episode. I'm just gonna keep it simple and leave you with one question. Are you being fairly compensated for the work that you do?